0: Leslie Lutie, host of the Set Apart podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. This week, we're going to be continuing the Christ-centered mentoring series, and I'm really excited to dive into this topic on emotion-based versus truth-based mentoring. There's a huge difference between the two, but a lot of us miss it in our attempt to help other people. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you that this is a great time to register for our 2023 Set Apart Conference. It's happening in June, and it is a powerful weekend for mothers and daughters, for women of every age, just a time to come together as women from all over the world and seek after Jesus together. So whether you can join us in person or anywhere you are via simulcast, it's just an incredible life-changing weekend, and it's also a great way to share the Set Apart message with other women in your life. A lot of ladies, have hosted entire events with a simulcast. Some have just had a few friends over to their living room, but it's a great way to pass on important truths to women that you care about. So if you're interested, this is a great time because we have an early bird discount going on for just a little bit longer. So if you would like to join us and get the best pricing on the conference, go to setapartgirl.com or just click the link in this podcast description. Let's talk about truth-based versus emotion-based mentoring. And I want to start out with a really powerful quote from Amy Carmichael's book, If, where she says, if I slip into the place that can be filled by Christ alone, making myself the first necessity to a soul instead of leading it to fasten upon him, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Now those words can be a little bit hard to understand, but when we take a closer look at them, basically she's saying that if I try to take the place of Christ in another person's life, if I become their first turn... If I become the one they have to run to whenever they're in a crisis or having a struggle, instead of teaching them how to go to Jesus, instead of fastening that person's soul to him, that I am not walking in the pattern of the cross. And as women, I feel like we often misunderstand today what makes a quote, good counseling session or a good mentoring session with another woman we sometimes tend to measure mentoring success or friendship success or discipleship success based on how real and open and honest and emotional the conversation is. In other words, if you can get another woman who's who you're seeking to minister to, to just cry and spill her guts and open up about all her struggles, sometimes that can be a false sense of feeling like we've done her a great service and that we're being a godly friend or mentor. But the reality is that's not always the case. Expressing emotions or just opening up about struggles and frustrations is actually not the way we can measure success in a friendship or a mentoring relationship. Success can only be measured, as Amy Carmichael said, by how well we fasten the other person's soul to Jesus Christ. So as a godly mentor or a Christ-centered discipler, our job is, is not to take the place of Jesus in another person's life. And sometimes it's easy to forget that. We wanna feel like we're the ones that they turn to, we're the ones that they lean on, we're the ones that they pour out their heart to. But as Amy Carmichael's quote reminds us, our job is to continually point them to Jesus, to actually get out of the way so that they can see him more clearly. Not to try to get them to pour out their heart to us, but to pour out their heart to him we are meant to decrease so that Jesus can increase in our mentoring relationships. And that means we're not going to be the primary one that another woman runs to in order to unburden her soul or vent her frustrations or share her deepest struggles. Now, I know this sounds a bit counterculture, even in the church today, because we're trained to think that we are being a very good friend or mentor if people pour out their heart to us. But Psalm 62, eight says, pour out your heart before him, meaning God, God is a refuge for us. So this is our ultimate goal with those that we are ministering to, to teach them this incredible privilege that we have as sons and daughters of the king to pour out our heart before God, to make him our first turn, to make him our refuge. Now, it's definitely true that we are called to show empathy and be a caring, listening ear when other people need to share things that are on their heart or things that are burdening them. But we need to be careful that we don't let it go too far, because when we encourage others to first and foremost turn to us and pour out their heart to us and unburden their soul to us, we can often stand in the way of what they really need to be doing which is pouring out their heart to Jesus Christ. Human wisdom says that if we can become indispensable in someone's life, that's the highest form of love. But God's pattern for real love is altogether different. Think about Paul. He shared a deep, heartfelt love with Christians that he taught and discipled. But in all of his interactions with the churches, his ultimate goal was to point them to Jesus Christ and not to himself. He said in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then when some of the Christians tried to attach themselves to Paul in an unhealthy way, they became more preoccupied with Paul than with Jesus. He corrected them with these poignant words. Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? That's from 1 Corinthians one thirteen. When Paul describes the kind of love that God calls us to live by, he says, love is not self-seeking. In other words, Christ's love does not selfishly seek first place in anyone's life. It always considers the other person's highest good. And if you take a step back and think about the highest good that anyone can ever find, it's not something that we can offer. It's only found in Jesus Christ and him crucified. So it stands to reason that our goal in every mentoring relationship, in every outreach type of situation, Our goal should be to fasten that soul to Christ and not to ourselves. We are called to be a reflection of Christ's love in those relationships, but not the first place in another person's life. That position has to be reserved for Christ alone. If we try to make another person emotionally dependent upon us rather than seeking to fasten them to Christ, we actually become a barrier to their intimacy with him. Charles Spurgeon had a great pattern of this principle that he lived out in his preaching ministry people would often approach him at the end of his messages. They were wanting to pray with him, unburden their soul to him, get counseling from him, and get their lives right with God. His response was always the same. That's wonderful. Meet me in my office tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock. And sometimes other Christians would question this approach because they thought, shouldn't he be meeting with these people the moment they show an interest in getting right with God? Isn't it a good idea to to show care and concern? And if they need to pray all night, he's just available to them. But Spurgeon said this, if it is truly the spirit of God working in their hearts, it will be just as real at seven o'clock tomorrow morning as it is tonight. And the reason Charles Spurgeon did this and and took this approach is because he didn't want emotion-led conversions. He didn't want people to have a mountaintop experience at church one night and then come crashing down to reality the next day. He wanted people to encounter God in a real and lasting way to experience the kind of repentance that was led by God's spirit and not just human feelings. So what may have seemed unspiritual in his approach actually became a source of great strength in his ministry because the people who came to Christ through his ministry were the real deal. He knew how to fasten their soul to Christ rather than letting human emotion lead the way and take over. And also, it definitely helped his longevity in ministry, because if he had just been available 24 hours a day, seven days a week to whoever wanted to talk with him, he certainly would have become too exhausted to continue after a period of time. So in light of this principle, this doesn't mean we are never to stay up all night and pray with someone if the Spirit of God is leading us to do that, or we can't ever be spontaneous or have a long conversation with someone that is unplanned. A lot of times, the Spirit of God will nudge us and say, this is a time to put your plans aside and be available to what I'm doing. But it's really important that as we are counseling and mentoring and discipling, we keep that ultimate goal of fastening their soul to Christ and not to ourselves in the forefront. So I'd like to share a few really important principles that I have learned through the years that really have helped me learn how to be more truth-based rather than just emotion-based as I disciple and mentor others, especially when it comes to mentoring women. And the first principle to keep in mind is the difference between openness and discretion. I've had a lot of godly women invite me out to coffee and say things like this. I know that as a leader there are not many people you can really be real with, but I want to be that kind of friend in your life where you can share every struggle you're going through. This friendship is a safe place where you can be honest and open and just share anything you want and let your emotions fly, etc. And they seem to be trying to appeal to my emotions during the entire conversation, wanting to get me to express deeper feelings, trying to get me to cry or vent frustration so that they can really be there for me as I finally am able to do those things. And it sounds very sweet and loving and I appreciate their heart in in expressing those things. But as I take a look at this biblically, there's something about that approach that isn't quite right because I've learned that as women, when we are attempting to be a shoulder to cry on, we're attempting to be caring and a listening ear, we sometimes can overlook that important biblical principle of discretion. There are a lot of scriptures about discretion. Proverbs 2.11 reminds us that discretion will preserve us. As modern Christian women, we're often encouraged to be real and honest by expressing our feelings, our private emotions, our struggles, whether that's to our girlfriends, to our mentors in Christian gatherings, on our blogs, on our social media pages. This is especially true when it comes to expressing and venting our frustrations. I've often heard people say, Christian women need the freedom to be authentic in their relationships with each other. And usually what that kind of statement means is, Christian women should have the freedom to express whatever they're feeling, even if it's fleshly, self-focused, or dishonoring to others. This idea that just being raw and real is the most spiritual way to behave is actually not in line with God's principle of discretion. Some women even feel pressured to share their private feelings and struggles publicly or with other Christian women because it's implied that somehow they are putting on a false front if they don't air all of their private emotions. But again, the idea that unguardedly expressing feelings and frustrations equates to true authenticity is not actually in line with God's word. In women's ministry today, there's something called counter honesty that is often promoted under the banner of being real and being honest. And counterfeit honesty says something like this, freely share your feelings with anyone and everyone. If you don't, you're not really being authentic but a closer look at scripture says something different. Biblical honesty takes a different approach. In Proverbs 29, 11, it says a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise person holds them back. And then in Ecclesiastes three, seven, there is a time to be silence and a time to speak. So while we should never be fake or put on a false front with others, we always have to balance honesty and emotional expression with that godly virtue of discretion. And discretion is really almost a forgotten concept in today's world, but according to scripture, it is foundational to godly womanhood. Proverbs says, as a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. And Titus 2, 4 and 5 says, young women are to be discreet. Now discreet in this verse means to be sane, of sound mind, self-controlled, and temperate. It's actually the opposite of venting our feelings without restraint. Mary, the mother of Jesus, demonstrated this quality of discretion when she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart, as it says in Luke 2, 19. And she had a lot of things, a lot of emotions, a lot of private feelings that she could have easily expressed because of all that God walked her through. I mean, if anyone had a good reason to freely express what they were going through, it was Mary, but she remained discreet and guarded with those things. She chose not to share them with others. And in God's eyes, that was actually a virtue and not a flaw. And I think that's an important thing to notice that God Praised her for that discretion. And a lot of times in the church today, we criticize people when they're more guarded with sharing their emotions. When we choose to express feelings to others, especially feelings of hurt or anger or concern or offense towards others, or when we encourage other women to express those kinds of feelings to us, let's be sure that we're not allowing emotions to be in control, emotions to lead the conversation. Again, it's not always wrong to share personal struggles or frustrations. It's not always wrong to be a caring listening ear for people who want to express different emotions. But sharing of any kind, always has to be balanced with that healthy dose of godly discretion. And in some cases, it's actually better to be silent than to express our feelings, especially if those feelings have not yet aligned with the unchanging truth of God's word. Feelings are not supposed to be in control. Feelings do not define reality. Only God's truth can define reality. So as women, we can cultivate this virtue of discretion by being guarded instead of careless with what we share with others and what we, how we encourage them to share with us. We can encourage discretion in those we are mentoring by not trying to appeal to that other person's emotions, but appeal to their hunger, their need for God's truth. So in mentoring relationships, one of the practical things that I have found is that when people are sharing struggles with me to Ask them to share what is necessary, but not go on and on and not overly dwell on their emotions, but taking the situation and immediately turning to the truth that sets free, the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of God's word, and making that truth the focal point rather than their feelings the focal point. And God will lead you specifically of how to do this in every situation. It's not that emotions are bad. It's not that tears are bad. It's not that sharing is bad, but it has to be balanced with that that quality of discretion and emotion. Emotions cannot be in control. As quickly as possible, steer the conversation to truth and to God's word and not to just feelings. Another key principle is to understand the difference between honesty and gossip. When we're in mentoring and discipleship relationships, there is a fine line between honesty and gossip. And I've learned that the hard way. I've had women that I'm mentoring begin to open up to me about hurts and concerns towards other people that I knew and everything was being shared under the banner of asking for my prayers and my advice, but pretty soon I began to realize that I was starting to harbor suspicion and even sometimes second-party offenses towards the people these ladies were talking about. So finally, I've realized it's important for me to not let that kind of sharing go too far, that kind of sharing that's more spiritually-veiled gossip and criticism than it is really being honest. I don't really need to know a lot of the details. I don't always even need to know the other person's name to say, okay, Here's the issue. Now let's go to the word of God. Let's apply truth to the situation. In modern mentoring relationships, it's actually very common for Christians, especially Christian women, to talk about the weaknesses of others under the banner of honesty. And sometimes fault finding is disguised as care and sympathy for the person being criticized. But no matter how much spiritual language is used to cloak it, gossip and criticism are never God-honoring. Amy Carmichael said it very straightforwardly. If I can easily discuss the shortcomings and sins of any other, if I can any way slight another in conversation or even in thought, then I know nothing of Calvary love. It is so abundantly clear all throughout scripture that honor and not criticism is what hallmarks godly honesty and godly womanhood. In fact, one of the key qualities of the Proverbs 31 woman is that the law of kindness is on her tongue. That's in Proverbs 31, 26. So counterfeit honesty needs to be replaced with biblical honesty. Counterfeit honesty says it's healthy and good to share your offenses and your concerns about others because you need to process those things with fellow Christians or at least with your mentors. Biblical honesty takes a different approach. It says in Proverbs 16:28, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. And then in Proverbs 19:11, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. And as James 3, 8 through 10 clearly explains, the tongue is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things not ought to be so. There might be times when it is important or necessary to voice concerns about another person who is walking in sin, but that should be the exception and not the rule in our lives. It shouldn't be taken lightly and it really should be something that is done after prayer, not in the heat of emotion. Primarily, concern should be taken to those in a position of authority. So if someone comes to you and you are in a position of authority, make sure that the information that's being shared is hallmarked by honor and never with the intent to gossip, slander, or criticize. And if you feel like it's going in that direction, do your best to redirect the conversation so that the person being talked about is still being talked about in an honorable way. Amy Carmichael and her fellow missionaries made a purposeful effort to protect the vital unity that they shared as Christians, as a Christian fellowship, and they did this by honoring each other with their words and making criticism taboo. Amy wrote, it often appears to us there is nothing except our private walk with God, which is more detested and assaulted by the devil than this beautiful, happy thing, the loyalty that is the basic quality of vital unity. We made one careful rule, the absent must be safe with us. Criticism, therefore, was taboo. What other way of life can satisfy the heart that is set on living in the ungrieved presence of its Lord? The very thought of him shames unkindness. Now, those words express probably the most important antidote against criticism and gossip and dishonoring others. We have to take our eyes off ourselves, off our own offenses, hurts, our emotions, our pride, our preferences, and fix our gaze upon Jesus instead. When we remember how much he has sacrificed, how much he has given, how much he has suffered for us, when we realize that criticizing and attacking each other is shameful and foolish and unkind, that he longs for us to love each other with a pure heart fervently, as it says in first Peter, and that this is actually how we demonstrate that we truly love him by showing love to one another. That's in first John 420. We recognize how critical it is that all of our words, even when we need to process an offense or a hurt from someone else, All of our words still honor Jesus and honor others. Dishonorable counterfeit honesty has no place in view of the cross. If we do not stray from the shadow of the cross, our words will automatically honor others and honor Jesus. So in your mentoring relationships, be sure that you are encouraging godly honesty rather than counterfeit honesty and not allowing gossip and criticism to slip into those conversations because it is really impossible to help someone come to the place of being set free with truth and seeking answers to their struggles if we are allowing sin to rule in those conversations. And gossip and criticism is sin. So just be guarded and ask God to show you how to redirect a conversation that is critical into a conversation that is honoring, even if certain things have to be talked about, let them be talked about with true honesty and not counterfeit honesty. And another key principle is to understand how to cultivate a mindset of victory versus defeat. We've been talking about counterfeit honesty And another counterfeit honesty that often creeps into modern Christianity is this idea of being open and honest and accepting of our constant spiritual defeat. So if you're mentoring someone who's in a place of spiritual defeat, in some Christian circles, it's seen as healthy to encourage those people to openly voice doubt and disillusionment towards God under the banner of being honest. It's even gone so far that some churches host things like doubt nights for this purpose of venting disillusionment towards God. Openly airing sinful baggage and celebrating defeat is not actually what it means to walk in the light as he is in the light, as it says in 1 John 5, 7. It's this counterfeit honesty again that says, I'm a mess, you're a mess. So let's all just be honest about it and thank God that he loves messes like us. While it's true that God loves us when we are in a messy state, that's actually not the kind of honesty that we're meant to cultivate within the church and in our mentoring relationships. Biblical honesty says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. That's in 2 Corinthians 2.14. And he also says in Romans 6, six, our old man, our old person was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with so that we should no longer be slaves of sin. That's biblical honesty. Biblical honesty means applying God's truth to our situation, not just wallowing in our doubt and disillusionment and defeat. Honesty about spiritual struggles is an important first step in the process of bringing secret sins into the light and letting God deal with those things through his truth. But honesty about sin and spiritual struggles is not the only step towards freedom. And I think, A lot of times in modern mentoring relationships, that's where we stop. It's like, oh, good. You got it out. You got it off your chest. You're finally being real about this. But God's word says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's in 1 John 1, 6. Confession of sin is the process of bringing our hidden sins, our vices, our addictions, our selfishness into the light, laying those things at the feet of Jesus and allowing him to wash us clean. And then he tells us to repent, which means by his grace to turn and walk the opposite direction. So if you think about the woman caught in adultery, she was obviously in a very sinful and a spiritually defeated place. What did Jesus say to her after he rescued her from her persecutors? He didn't say to her, go and just be honest about your struggles. He said, go and sin no more. So if someone is being controlled by any kind of sin, confession to God and to other key people that God's brought into their life is a crucial first step. But if someone simply confesses sin and leaves it there then they are not really allowing God to do his amazing work of grace in their soul. So we need to encourage those we are mentoring to confess sin with an attitude that says, I am choosing to repent of this sin and to believe that God's power is sufficient to set me free from this bondage of sin. We need to be honest about our sin, but in the process, let's not forget to be honest about the reality of God's ability to transform us into new creatures in Christ. As it says in Galatians 5.17, we need to remind those that we are mentoring that because of Jesus' work on the cross and his enabling grace that dwells within us, we have the power to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. That old person, that old man within us has been crucified with Christ. Therefore, we are free to no longer serve sin, but to walk in the light as he is in the light. And this is the message that those we are seeking to minister to have to be brought to understand. When we choose counterfeit honesty and allow people to celebrate defeat, wallow in defeat, instead of pointing them towards victory, we diminish the most amazing gift that has ever been given, the gift of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Remember, the gospel is more than just a blanket forgiveness of sin. It's the enabling power to walk in victory, to walk in triumph, to be free from the bondage, the controlling power of sin. And so as you are mentoring others, as they are bringing sin and secret struggles into the light, be sure that you don't just leave it at that place of honesty, also bring them to the place of receiving the truth of God, the truth that can set them free. So in conclusion, even though there are popular notions out there that say that having an emotional raw and real conversation is what makes a good mentoring relationship, that actually doesn't lead to spiritual health pointing someone to the truth that can set them free, fastening their soul to Jesus Christ and teaching them how to pour out their heart to him and find answers in the word of God for every struggle they're facing. That is the only thing that makes a good mentoring relationship and not just a good mentoring relationship, but a life-changing discipleship relationship. If your goal in every single discipleship or mentoring situation you find yourself in is to fasten the other person's soul to Jesus Christ, you will have a life-changing impact upon them. Even if you don't feel qualified, even if you can't remember all the principles that we've even talked about in this podcast, if that is what's driving you, you're longing to fasten them to Jesus Christ, you will be successful in this calling. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into building a Christ-centered, set-apart life, visit us at setapartgirl.com and see the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.